Hello and welcome to Z3 News. I'm James Bailey and today is Wednesday, December 26, 2018. My topic today is Zionism and I want to explain why for Zion's sake we must not keep silent and the reason why is because it's so important to God and I'm referring to the God of the Bible the God of our Lord Jesus Christ anyone who claims to follow him should be a passionate Zionist and that's going to require some clarification I know because there's different definitions of Zionism and so when we hear that we have different ideas about what we mean and to keep it simple there's basically two kinds there's God's version of Zionism and that's what I'm referring to and then there's the world's version which I believe originates from Satan the God of this world so if you just did a Google search on Zionism and you go to Wikipedia and read about it you're gonna get information about how modern Israel was formed and the people players involved and it doesn't tell you half the story you really have to dig and investigate but my point is that's what they call Zionism is those people those specific players and the roles they played the things they've done to get those people back into that land okay so that's that's one version of the story but God has his own version of the story and he is passionately Zionist and that's just a a fact revealed in the scriptures you can look it up for yourself uh, particularly Isaiah chapter 62 he's very clear about his heart and his plans for these people and he's the one who says for Zion's sake I will not keep silent for Zion's sake I refuse to sit still because I'm passionate about these people and I'm passionate about my plans for them and so this is this is the dilemma that we have you have God on the one hand laying out his heart his plans and you have those who follow him who take the time to learn what he is saying and what is important to him and show respect for his interests by aligning our interests with his and aligning our actions with his so that we are on the same side with him and not fighting against him and unfortunately that's what I see all too often today is many who claim to follow God are actually uh, fighting against God day after day by posting comments making comments about uh, the Jewish people and Zionism the land of Israel and they're unknowingly doing the work of Satan by promoting his agenda advancing his kingdom and his form of Zionism and see there's two sides to this there's Satan's side and God's side God has a plan for the Jewish people so does Satan God has a plan for the land of Israel so does Satan and we have to be able to tell the difference and the way that we can tell the difference is we know the scriptures and believe the scriptures and act in accordance with the scriptures now not only does Satan have a plan for the Jewish people and the land of Israel but he has people that are filled with his spirit the same way God has people filled with his spirit Satan has people advancing his kingdom just like God has people advancing his kingdom and so when it comes to the land of Israel and the Jewish people Satan has an army of what are typically referred to as Zionists and so this term Zionism gets very confusing and so in the interest of trying to do the right things people who are following God are saying well if Satan has a Zionist plan then I sure don't want to be a Zionist but the problem with that is God has a Zionist plan and you sure want to follow God's plans if you're a Christian so it's just a matter of defining the two different 
viewpoints and being able to discern uh, which one we are going to align with. And, and so my purpose for this message today is to give you some examples that will help clarify the difference between these two different perspectives. And the first point I want to consider is two different perspectives of the Jewish people. So, first of all, those who are promoting Satan's Zionism, Satan's perspective, in some cases they'll just come right out and spew their hatred of the Jewish people because that's ultimately that's what Satan really feels for these people. He's always sought to destroy them throughout history and is continuing to this day. But usually those who are advancing his form of Zionism will not come out and directly say, uh, reveal their hatred for the Jewish people. In fact, they'll go to great lengths to explain, I'm not anti-Semitic, but, so there's always that but, and then they'll prove that they are in fact very anti-Semitic. For example, what they'll do is blame the Jews for trying to manipulate and control world events and world finances, banking, and use their power and influence to bring the rest of the world into bondage, to slavery, to them, so that they ultimately rule the world. And unfortunately, this is a very common, popular perspective among people who claim to be Christians. And it's because they've been deceived, first of all, in not knowing the scriptures, and secondly, in not knowing history. Now, by contrast, those who are followers of true Zionism, which is God's Zionism, they have a love for the Jewish people that's very genuine, and it's inexplainable other than the fact that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us, and He has a great love for the Jewish people, and so we do too. But the level of our love depends on how closely we align ourselves with the truth of God's Word and the truth that He reveals to us by His Spirit. And there is another form of truth, and that is revealed in history, in actual factual history as opposed to revised fictional history, but according to the Bible, history is a form of wisdom, and that's written by King Solomon, who's known as the wisest man who ever lived, and he wrote that that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes one nine. That's an amazing insight because he is telling us that if we'll just study history, if we'll just see the patterns that continually repeat in history, then we'll be able to understand more clearly what's happening right now in the world around us and what will happen in the future. And so I think those who are true lovers of God and seekers of truth need to understand not just the scriptures, we need to know the scriptures, we need the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit because he guides us into all truth, but in addition to that, we could learn a lot by studying history and keeping up with what has happened in the past because I, I think that would protect us from being deceived um, when something presents itself as, as being something that it's never been before. That's unlikely. It, we, would, we would see it as a, as a red flag. Watch out for that. That's probably not what it's presenting itself to be. But when we're totally in the dark on history, then we're more likely to be deceived and to just go along with whatever comes and whatever someone presents something as. And the reason why I'm emphasizing the importance of history 
in the context of this message is because when it comes to our perspective on the Jewish people, we need to be on guard against these lies that are so prevalent throughout the world and throughout many Christian circles that are accusing the Jewish people, falsely accusing them of being the manipulators and the schemers and the evil in this world that needs to be eliminated. Basically, that's the ultimate conclusion, is that if they are truly the source of evil, as they were presented, as they have been presented to be by some throughout history, the next logical conclusion is, then they must be eliminated. And that's that's the scheme of Satan in twisting the facts of history and accusing, falsely accusing them of doing things that they've not done. And now history also becomes important when we see the explanation that the angel Gabriel gave to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel had received a vision and he was troubled because he did not understand the vision. And so God sent the angel Gabriel to explain the vision to Daniel. And when Gabriel explained it, four times Gabriel said to Daniel, your vision pertains to the time of the end. And I'm emphasizing that point because so many people misunderstand this passage of, of Gabriel's explanation of the vision because they miss the fact that Gabriel says four times it pertains to the time of the end. So in other words, when people claim that this passage has already all been fulfilled, they're wrong. Read the passage. Read the words of Gabriel. Gabriel is an angel of God. He's speaking the truth. So if he says it pertains to the time of the end, it does. And in this passage, Gabriel gives Daniel a very important piece of information because it identifies the source of great trouble coming in the world for the Jewish people. And the way that Gabriel said it to Daniel was, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, at the time when Gabriel said that, Daniel was living in Babylon. The Israelites were in exile. The first temple had already been destroyed. They didn't have a temple or a homeland, but the time came when they were able to return to their land, rebuild their temple, and that is the city and the sanctuary that, that Gabriel's referring to when he says it's going to be destroyed. So he's talking about future events there. And then that short little sentence there, he connects it all the way to the end because he says, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, we now have the benefit of hindsight to know that in the year 70 AD, Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem and they destroyed the city and the temple, the second temple was destroyed. And we have this insight from Gabriel that the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary, the Roman army, these same people will be behind the one who is to come, this prince who is to come. And we have to understand who is this prince who is to come. And I'm always amazed, but there's people who claim this is talking about Jesus. Well, it's not because Jesus would never destroy the city of Jerusalem. He would never destroy the temple of God. And if we keep reading, the very next verse tells us that this same one, he makes a seven-year agreement with the people of Israel, enabling them to uh, reinitiate their sacrifice and grain offerings. In other words, the uh, reconstruction of their temple and their their uh, facility for that. But in the middle of this seven-year agreement, he breaks the agreement and commits an extreme abomination. And that's in Daniel 9.27. And 
Jesus would never break his covenant. He makes a promise he's going to keep it. And he would never commit an extreme abomination. So just got to get that point clear that we're talking here, this prince we're talking about is the coming man of sin, the, the man of lawlessness, the beast, the one who's called the Antichrist. And so this scripture passage for everyone who wants to understand God's heart for the Jewish people and correctly know the truth about the Jewish people needs to understand who the true culprit is. And this is a tremendous insight for us because it's difficult for us to know what goes on behind closed doors on the other side of the world where evil men meet together and conspire to do evil things. How can we possibly know all these things? And we can study history and we can learn a lot, but we need to know from a reliable source. And here we have the angel of God telling us, here's the ones you need to watch. These people who destroy the city and the sanctuary, which came to pass in 70 AD, they're going to continue until the end. They're going to put forth one who will be called the prince, the, the destroyer, the antichrist. And so this is vitally important for every believer to understand because we now know we need to watch Rome. And when I first saw this, I wanted to understand it further. And so I began to study the history of Rome, going back all the way to the Roman Empire and the Roman emperors and studying the role they played, especially when they were interacting with the Jewish people, because Rome became a ruler over the land of Judea back even before the time of Jesus' birth. And during the time that he was alive on the earth, Rome ruled over Israel. And they continued to rule after his death and resurrection. And during all that time, there was great persecution of the Jewish people. Even after Jesus was born, Rome's appointed ruler over the land of Judea, which was King Herod the Great, ordered the murder of all children under two years old, hoping that he would be able to kill Jesus. But that's just one example. But as I studied this topic, I was just amazed because it is just a constant um, bloodbath. Persecution after persecution, it never stopped. By 70 AD, they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They murdered well over a million Jews in that event. And those who were not killed were sold into captivity and dispersed throughout the world. But the nightmare did not end there for the Jewish people because the Romans continued to persecute them in every way imaginable. And it never stopped. I studied Roman emperor after Roman emperor and it never stopped their hatred of the Jews and when the Christians came along, Rome hated us too and made many repeated attempts to destroy all Christians and Jews with mass murders. And after about 300 years of that, the Roman emperors finally realized their strategy was not working because we weren't going away and we weren't backing off from our faith so they tried a new tactic, which was basically joining the church, um, not in the true sense, because they continued to be pagans in all of their ways, but they appointed themselves as the leaders of the Christian church in deciding all matters of doctrine, and anyone who disagreed with their rulings would then be exiled, excommunicated, or put to death. But Rome itself 
continued its Babylonian pagan practices all throughout. They did not convert to Christianity, and I can prove that historically, and I will be doing that in an upcoming podcast, but I'm going to have to keep moving on here. I'm just trying to point out that the Bible, and those who study the Bible, have insights into who are the true culprits, because contrary to all the accusations made against the Jewish people coming from all sorts of voices out there, the Bible never once warns us about a scheme of the Jews to control the world. There's nothing in the Bible about that. There's nothing in the Bible warning us that the Antichrist will be a front man for a bunch of evil Jewish people. That's just not in there. But there is a warning that the Antichrist will be backed by the same people who destroyed the temple and the city in 70 AD, Rome. Now, God gives us these things in his word so that we would not be ignorant and unaware of the schemes of the enemy. He wants us to see any trouble coming from a long ways off so that we're always way ahead. We've already made preparation because we knew who was doing these things and what they were going to do. God does not want his people to be blindsided by Satan. And that's why so many scriptures and so many chapters in the Bible are devoted to exposing these things. God wants his people to know these things and understand. And I hear Christians talking about, oh, we don't need to know those things. We just need to focus on God and Jesus. Well, I agree. We need to focus on God and Jesus. But God and Jesus are directing our attention to these things so that we would not be caught off guard. And wouldn't we do the same thing for our own children who we love and we don't want anything bad to come on them? If we knew some horrible scheme was about to unfold against them, wouldn't we want them to know? Well, of course we would. And so that's why God wants us to know. And we don't have to get so super spiritual that we can't acknowledge any of these things. We should be shouting them from the rooftops. We should be exposing Satan's schemes to the light because the only way his kingdom advances is under cover of darkness. We should be exposing him. And God has given us everything we need to do that. There are other confirmations exposing who the true culprits are. In Revelation chapter 17, we read about the mother of all harlots, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and of the abominations of the earth. That is an amazing passage because it's telling us there is one source at work in the earth who is the mother. Now, if she's a mother, she's a mother because she has children. And this is where it gets confusing because this mother works through other organizations as front groups. And so while we're all busy looking over here at the front group, nobody is even picking up anything on their radar about the true culprit behind the scenes, the mother who initiated the whole scheme. So there's, there's the mother harlot, and then there's the children, the, the daughter harlots, all throughout the earth. But all of them tra trace back to this one mother. And that is the one that Gabriel was warning Daniel about. This same one, this same culprit who destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem will bring forth this man of sin. This city, this place is the one to watch. And the city is Rome. And throughout Rome's history, they fit the description perfect because it describes the woman as clothing herself in purple and scarlet, adorning herself with gold and precious stones and pearls. Yet she is filled with all sorts of abominations, unclean things, 
immorality, and this is the pattern revealed in history in Rome. And in that same passage, this woman, this mother of all harlots, is described as being drunk with the blood of the saints, drunk with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She is a murderer of God's people. She has been murdering God's people from the beginning. So if we want to identify who this is, just put these things together because they all point to Rome. And if we just study history, it becomes so clear that this same Roman Empire continued. It morphed into different shapes and forms. But I'll give you one example is the Roman emperors were known as Pontificus Maximus, which is Latin, and it means the great bridge between God and man. So they were basically saying that the emperor is the mediator between God and man, the one true way to God. And when the Catholic Church started after Constantine instituted Rome as the head of the Christian church, the one who was the leader of the church in Rome, who was called the Bishop of Rome, eventually took on this same title, calling himself Pontificus Maximus. After there were no more emperors over the empire, there was still the Pontificus Maximus, the great bridge between God and man. And we see throughout history, throughout every century, example after example, Rome never stopped murdering the Jewish people and never stopped murdering Christians. And that bloody trail of history continues to this very day. And now, if you're a Roman Catholic, I want you to know I'm not attacking you personally. I am just exposing the historical facts and the scriptures regarding the institution of the Roman Catholic Church and the history and background behind it. It's certainly possible to be a born-again believer and attend services at a Roman Catholic Church. I think that's possible. I just don't think it's helpful. And I don't understand why anybody, once they realize what this institution is all about as a believer, would want anything to do with it. And I believe in the future, in the near future, it's going to become harder and harder for true Christians to continue their participation with Roman Catholicism because the two don't mix if one is of God, the other is not of God. They cannot stay yoked together, especially where things are going and the acceleration of events that are coming between now and the time the Lord returns. So the Catholic people are not my enemy. As long as they're born-again Christians and lovers of truth, then we're on the same team. But I would just encourage you to find out more about who this institution is that you're a part of and hopefully you can uh, come out of it as soon as possible because the true enemy of all Christians and Jews is Satan he's the one who's seeking our destruction and so we need to keep the focus in the right place here but unfortunately the facts show and the scriptures show that Satan's number one vehicle in advancing his kingdom throughout the earth is working through this mother of all harlots. And one of his favorite tactics is to commit all sorts of terrible atrocities and then blame it on Jews and Christians. For example, many Jewish people today still think that Adolf Hitler was a Christian and they avoid Christians like the plague because they think Christians are out to kill them like Hitler was. And it's just not even in line with historical truth because Hitler was raised Catholic, was a devoted 
uh, supporter of the Vatican, was trained by Jesuits. His book, Mein Kampf, was written by, Jesuit, by a Jesuit priest named Bernhard Stempfli, and you can look that up on Wikipedia, but it's a historical fact. The Jesuits wrote his book. The Jesuits put together his schemes. The Jesuits gave him his organizational plan for the SS, which he openly acknowledged publicly. There's many photographs of Hitler with his Vatican accomplices. This was a scheme from the same people who have been destroying the Jews throughout history, working through a daughter harlot, a front group, a stooge, who could then be the fall guy for the whole mess, and then it was all blamed on the Christians. So Satan did a double whammy there, killing the Jews and blaming the Christians. And he's done this repeatedly throughout history. He did it again back in 1903 when Jesuit Catholic priests wrote a book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This book was a complete forgery. It was it was written in a way to make it look like it was inside information about a meeting between powerful Jewish people scheming to rule the world and manipulate world events through their finances and their influence. And it was accusing the Jews of being this evil uh, power in the world that needed to be eliminated. It accused the Jews of doing the very thing that these Jesuit Catholic priests have been doing for the past 500 years ever since their order was founded in 1534. But this book, it was first published in 1903 in Russia, but it was quickly translated into many different languages, and the Nazis picked it up, and by the 1930s, they were requiring their children in their school systems to read and study this book, and they were being indoctrinating. They were indoctrinating their children in these lies about the Jewish people. And even the automaker in the United States, Henry Ford, who was very anti-Semitic, he printed 500,000 copies of this book and distributed it in the United States. He later was mortified when it was exposed as a complete fraud. And that was a humiliating experience for him, but the damage was already done. But Henry Ford had already written many articles um, aggressively attacking the Jews like so much of the rest of the world, Satan was using him to spew his lies. Okay, so let's move on to the next point. I want to give another example, compare and contrast Satanic Zionism with Godly Zionism. And Satanic Zionists will typically, like I said, they'll typically say, now I'm not anti-Semitic. You know, I'm not against the Jewish people, but, and then they'll say something along these lines, but the Jewish people don't have any right to that land. So they reject what the Bible says about God's promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because these worldly Zionists don't respect the authority of the Bible. They don't go by that. They rely, their authority is the quote-unquote international community. Now, the problem with that is the international community is in darkness. The whole world is under the power of the evil one. That's what the Bible tells us. And so the international community, just like their father, the devil, they have a hatred of the Jewish people. The United Nations has passed more resolutions condemning Israel than they have all other nations of the world combined. And so anybody who references the international community as the recognized authority on who owns the land of Israel, well, that tells you right there that they are an enemy of God's word, an enemy of God's plan for the Jewish people and for Israel. Even if they call themselves a Christian, it doesn't matter 
because they're contradicting the Word of God. And by aligning themselves with the international community and recognizing them as the true authority on this topic, they are unknowingly aligning themselves with Satan. And that's why they'll say things like, Israel must give up all the land they gained in the 1967 Six-Day War. They must go back to their pre-1967 boundaries. This is something that President Obama called for when he was in the White House. And what would we expect from people in the world, people under the influence of Satan? That's how they think. That's how they talk. But the sad thing is many who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are saying the very same things. Now, God's version of Zionism has a much different take on Israel's boundaries because according to the promises of God given to Abraham, he said, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, if we would extend Israel's boundaries all the way to the river of Egypt, which would be the Nile River, and all the way to the river of Euphrates, which runs right through the middle of Iraq and Syria, their nation would be multiplied in landmass many times over what it is now. What would the international community have to say about that? But yet this is God's promise. These are God's boundaries, which he set and he confirmed it again in Exodus 23:31. The exact same boundaries were set there. And there are other scriptures giving specific details on the boundaries of Israel, all of which are far greater than the land that they occupy today. So Israel, according to God, has the rights, the Jewish people have the rights to a lot of land, and that's why God promises in other scriptures that they will one day possess the lands of those who oppress them. Now, another compare and contrast here between the worldly Zionists and the godly Zionists, the worldly Zionists will say, I'm not anti-Semitic, but... But then when they talk about the land of Israel, they'll refer to it as Palestine. When they talk about the land of Judea and Samaria, they'll refer to it as the West Bank. And this is a subtle attempt to disconnect the Jewish people from their land, refusing to acknowledge the true names God has given to the Jewish people, to the true rightful owners of the land, what God says this land is called. So it's just another way Satan is scheming to advance his agenda. And another example, the worldly, satanic-inspired Zionists, they'll say, I'm not anti-Semitic, but I just don't think the Jewish people are part of God's plans anymore because they're so evil and unrighteous and they've done all these bad things. They were uh, responsible for the murder of Jesus. They've done all sorts of evil things throughout the earth, and therefore they're disqualified. Now, I covered that in my previous podcast, so I'm not going to go into it here, but I did a study on this in depth because I wanted to see for myself what does the Bible say, and I found 41 scriptural proofs showing that God still has amazing plans in place, and His plans were never altered, were never abandoned, for the Jewish people. And I'm not talking about the spiritual Jews. There's a difference between spiritual, born-again Jews who've been grafted in by the Spirit of God and flesh-and-blood Jews who are flesh-and-blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking about the flesh-and-blood Jews. God's plans for them were never abandoned because they were never based on their righteousness. His plans, he clearly spells it out in scriptures, were always based on his faithfulness, his love for them, his promises that he made 
to their forefathers, which he fully intends to keep through 1,000 generations, which is far longer than the span of human history on earth. So these worldly Zionists, again, attacking the Jewish people, trying to discredit them, trying to disconnect God from them and them from God and have everybody come to the conclusion that these people are evil, they are imposters, and they need to be removed, they need to be eliminated. But yet, amazingly, we see God's plans unfolding for them even today. The rebirth of modern Israel was foretold in prophecy that yet a second time they would be gathered from all the nations back to their land. No nation in history has ever been conquered and scattered among the nations and then reborn as a nation. Israel has now done it twice, which is exactly what the prophet Isaiah said would happen, yet for a second time they would be gathered. That's in Isaiah chapter 11. And this should be a sign to every unbeliever that the impossible things happen with these people repeatedly throughout history. Letting us know God is at work in the midst of them. And so we need to throw out this argument that the unrighteousness of the modern-day Jewish people has disqualified them from the plans of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be more contrary to scriptures. Now, the greatest Zionist of all time is God. He is so zealous, so passionate regarding his plans for the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his plans for those people in the land of Israel in these last days before the Lord returns and even after when the Lord is reigning on the earth for a thousand years with Jerusalem as his headquarters. And we see that passion that God has in Isaiah 62. The whole chapter, it's just 12 verses, but it's revealing the heart of God. And it begins in verse 1 saying, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet. And the reason why he won't be quiet is because his heart is so passionately devoted to fulfilling his plans for these people. He will bring it to pass, every detail. And there are so many things that he's going to do. If you continue reading that chapter, just in that chapter alone, there's a whole list of them. He says he's going to make Jerusalem a praise in the whole earth, just exactly the opposite of what we see today. Jerusalem is despised throughout the earth, especially when it's in the hands of the Jewish people. He's going to cause all nations of the world to see the righteousness of the Jewish people, and they're going to shine brightly like a burning torch, a righteous bright light just the exact opposite of what they are today with their detractors always pointing the finger at their failures, their shortcomings, and their unrighteousness. But God is going to cause the kings of the earth to see the glory of Israel. Now, in the natural realm, you don't see the glory of God, but God's going to cause his glory to manifest in the physical realm to where the people of the earth can see it. The kings of the earth will be drawn to the glory of Israel. He's going to make Israel a crown of beauty in his hand, like a royal diadem in his hand. And he says that no more will anyone refer to the Jewish people as being forsaken, as it has appeared they were for centuries. And no longer will the land of Israel be called desolate, as it has appeared to be for centuries. God is going to bring about a turn of events in this land for these people that's going to cause the world to look and say, God must be delighted with Israel. God must be delighted with these Jewish people. 
They truly are the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Now, that's just from Isaiah 62. That's just a short list of things that God's planning to do. But I have a much longer list that I put together, and I'm not going to take the time to read through it all here because I think I've made my point. But there's many more things that God's planning to do for the Jewish people. I put together a list of 41 unfulfilled future plans that God has for these people. And I can tell you that the worldly Zionists, the satanic-inspired Zionists of this world, they would be highly offended by this list of things God has planned for his Jewish people. But God's going to do it anyway. And ultimately, what Satan wants to do is destroy them. And that's why we see in Revelation the armies of the world are gathered around Jerusalem. The armies led by this Antichrist are going to come against Jerusalem because having gathered them all in one place, how convenient for him because he desires to exterminate all of them. And once he has his temple, once he has established his throne in Jerusalem, he has no longer any need for these people. And that's why he's planning to exterminate them. And at that time, when it seems so dark and bleak and hopeless for the Jewish people, that's when the Lord will return to deliver them. And God will fight for them, and he will destroy everyone who comes against them. Against all odds, Israel will not only survive, but will thrive and will blossom and will be a blessing to the whole earth. And this gets to the heart of the matter and how I got started on this whole topic is I had had a dream several years ago about the future of the church and there was nothing in the dream about Israel but when I sought God about what to do with it I believe he directed me to study Israel because it would provide me with a prophetic roadmap of his plans for the church because he has a similar plan for his spiritual Jews that he has for his natural Jews. And the spiritual Jews are not flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they have been grafted into the family by being reborn in their spirit man by the Spirit of God through receiving Jesus Christ. And it's really an amazing thing about God's plans for the Jewish people in the land of Israel as revealed in the scriptures because God is giving us a connection to show that his plans for his spiritual Jewish family will also follow a similar timeline and a similar path. And so the promise in Isaiah 62 that God has made to the natural Jews is a promise that we can take also for the spiritual Jews. That when he says that in the past you were called forsaken and you were looked upon by others as having been forsaken, but the day is going to come when you will no longer be called forsaken and your land will no longer be called desolate but you will blossom and bear fruit and be a blessing to many people. And that's God's plans for these last days for his people. And so this is another reason why spiritual Jews, Christians, need to understand God's plans for the natural Jews. It provides a roadmap for the future that we can follow. We can grab hold of God's promises and know that this is the same God, and he will do the same thing in his people. So when he says Israel will blossom and fill the whole earth with fruit, as he does in Isaiah 27, 6, we can know that we will also blossom, and we will also bear fruit that will be a blessing to the whole earth. And when he says that Israel's enemies will be cut off forever, we can know 
that our enemies will be cut off forever. And when he says that God will fight for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we can know that God will also fight in our behalf. You know, just because Satan has a scheme, an evil scheme of what he wants to do in that land and to those people, it does not change or negate anything that God is planning to do. And it shouldn't change the fact that we align ourselves with what God wants to do. So if anyone wants to know, are you a Zionist? Well, according to the Bible, yes. Yes, we want to be Zionists. Not like the world is Zionist. Not like the evil people who are promoting Satan's schemes are Zionists. But according to God's word, according to the heart of God and the plan of God, everyone who follows God should follow him in his commitment to Zion. And there's an extra blessing from God just for aligning with him on this issue because he says, those who bless Israel, I will bless. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And there have been many books written documenting examples of how God has immediately brought judgment upon those who have come against modern Israel. Yet the world seems to not connect those dots and continues to scheme against Israel and against the Jewish people. So it just goes on and on. But those are the topics that I wanted to present to you today. So thanks for joining me today, and I hope to be back again soon with another program. Until then, so long.